0: you're listening to the huddle up podcast with chad jensen and zach kelberman join broncos country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off and now it's time to drop some knowledge what is good broncos
2: country welcome into to the huddle up podcast presented by mile high huddle and 24 7 sports I am your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host, my partner in crime, if you will. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for twenty four-seven sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we got a week of camp, a little more than a week, under our belts. How are you holding up, buddy?
1: I'm holding up well. I'm catching a breather after the second off day of camp and I'm ready to get back into it tomorrow. I'm super stoked for the first preseason game though.
2: Oh man, that can't come fast enough, but it's definitely been a whirlwind. We have a lot to get to today, but just real quick. Guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. If you haven't, take some time. And uh, wherever you're listening to the show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, wherever you're listening, take some time. Go leave a creative review. Rate the show. You have no idea how important that is. How meaningful that is for us! It really helps us to grow. Really helps us to reach new listeners. So if you've not done that yet, you're a religious listener of the show. Take some time, knock that out. We really appreciate it. And also, we got to say thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Audible. Get a free audiobook download, you guys, and a 30-day free trial. Audibletrial.com/slash. Huddle Up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. AudibleTrial.com slash Huddle Up. That lets them know that we sent you. And it's really great for those who like to read, but don't always have the time uh, that they want to sit down, turn the pages on the books they want to read, because Audible allows you to get those books under your belt while you're doing other things, while you're multitasking, while you're, you know, getting your mile under your belt, or you're out in the yard, or commuting to work or whatever so i use it literally every single day which was why one of the reasons i was so excited to get them as a sponsor on the show about a year ago so uh if you like listening to podcasts you like the audio medium i can promise you you're going to like audible and here's your chance to get a free book in 30 days to try it out go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up we say thank you to audible for sponsoring the huddle up podcast And also a quick note, we have a few sponsors that we are going to be introducing to the show starting next week. So we look forward to sharing that with you then. But uh, we have a lot to get to. First off, we're going to talk about on Tuesday. Now, we're recording this show late Monday night, but the Broncos are going to release their first depth chart of the season. You can call it an unofficial depth chart, whatever you want. (laughs) But that's coming on Tuesday. Now, some of you are going to be listening to this show on Tuesday. You're going to be able to compare how Zach and I do here. But we're going to predict the first depth chart and what better place to start than a quarterback. And obviously, we're pretty much sharing our brain on this one. It goes without saying you got Case Keenum, unquestioned starter. But both of us have Lynch as the guy that the team is probably going to pencil in at number two. And then Chad Kelly. We're going to address the QB situation a little bit more in depth here later in the show. But anything you want to add to that, Zach? Uh,
1: it's it's as as I thought it would be through the first couple weeks of camp. You know you have Keenum locked in as the starter, and Lynch is still holding on to that that backup spot with both hands, and it's, it's tentative. It's not you know cemented there in that you know, situation yet. Yeah. And Kelly's pushing him, um, but it is as I thought it would be through two
2: weeks. Now it gets a little bit juicier as we get into the running backs. Now here's what I have. I have as running back one, I expect it to be Devontae Booker. Then I have. D'Angelo Henderson is number two. Then I have the rookie third rounder, Royce Freeman at number three, followed by David Williams, and then the undrafted rookie, Philip Lindsay. Now Philip Lindsay, he's been one of the sensations of training camp, but really all these backs have been have been performing well. So I don't think necessarily he's done enough to quite unseat the seventh rounder, per se, the guy who actually they spend a, a draft pick on because David Williams has also been playing really, really well. But what do you have for your depth chart? I have Booker,
1: then I have Freeman, Lindsay, Henderson, and Williams. And I'm not putting too much stock on Williams' draft position because seventh rounders or undrafted free agents, it's not that big of a, you know, a difference. I do think Booker will open up the season as the starter, officially only because seniority rules – And he's the best back in pass protection. But this is such a hard position battle to call right now because all five backs are really showing out well in camp. Um, Freeman, though, he's a third-round pick. I think I I love his skill set as an early-down running back. I think he's a perfect complement to Booker. So right now he's my number two. And Phillip Lindsey... I got to give him credit as an, as an undrafted free agent, a local product. He's doing really well on specials. That's going to help his roster spot, his roster status. And I like what I've seen from him as a pass catcher, as
2: a runner so far in camp. So I have him as my number three. Yeah. And I have a little bit more confidence with this coaching staff, with this offensive coordinator, and then now having a capable quarterback that a guy like Lindsey could be used in the offense during the regular season in a way that can be dangerous, kind of like the way the New England Patriots have found different ways to utilize their running backs, both in the running and the passing game. But you're right, you know, the NFL draft used to go what, 12 rounds back in the day. I mean, it might have mm-hmm. even gone longer than that. But I remember in the 80s, it was like going back 12 rounds. And you look at the undrafted. I mean, Phillip Lindsay. look at him as an eighth round pick. That's really the only difference between him and David Williams. It was kind of flip a coin. They decided to draft David Williams because they were relatively confident they could get Lindsey to come here after the draft. So it will be interesting, though, to see how this competition continues to shape up and the way the chips are going to fall, obviously going to be determined extremely by how the preseason games shake out. But uh, we'll move on here. Tight ends. Here's what I got. I got Jake Butt, number one. Now, when this started, we get, it's worth mentioning, Jeff Hireman was penciled in as tight end one because he was the elder statesman in the group in his fourth year, former third round pick, but he's been nursing a bum hamstring or no bum knee. He's been, mm-hmm. uh, he's had a bum knee. And so he practiced the first two days, but he hasn't since now. Maybe he'll come back after the Monday break and we'll get to see him on Tuesday, but here's how I have it shaping up. Jake, Butt, I think he makes the the first depth chart as tight end. Number one, and then I think they're still going to have Hireman penciled in at number two, even though I think it should be Austin Trailer. Trailer I have at number three, followed by Fumagalli, who's been uh, doing well as a, as a pass catcher, and then Lacoste, and then Brian Parker. So those are my guys who you got. I have, but I agree with
1: you there that he's my tight end one. I've been talking him up a lot in this past offseason. I think he's going to be locked into that spot. But number two behind him, I'm not the biggest Hireman fan. I might be biased, but I just do not like what I've seen from him. He reminds me of the Cody Latimer of, of tight end, just a, <laughs> a high round pick that hasn't performed well. So I actually have Austin Trailer as my number two. He's really- done really He's done really well in camp so far. I like what I saw from him last season. I think you know he's also he has a little more experience than Butt, not much but a little more. And uh, behind him, Fumagalli, the rookie, he's made a couple catches in camp. And if you you can't you, you can't climb up the depth chart if you don't play. If you're stuck in the trainers room, you're not gonna it's not gonna bode well for your chances. Yeah. I've been saying this for a while. I do think Hireman could be a surprise cut. It might be a super hot fire take, uh, but I would not be surprised. Only because you don't really need him. You have young tight ends on the roster, and they all offer different skill sets. Uh, Some are good blockers. Some are good pass catchers. Some do both. Where does he fit in if he hasn't practiced, if he has knee soreness? So I have butt, trailer, fumigale, then uh, rounding out. I do have, I agree with you, uh, Lacoste and Parker.
2: Now, it's interesting, one thing to keep in mind, it's not a huge difference. I mean, we're not talking about a gap of millions of dollars. But Jeff Hierman also happens to be the most expensive tight end on mm. the roster. He's making just over 700K this year, whereas everyone else is between 450 to 550K. So you know it's only about 100 to 150 thousand dollar gap between Hireman and everybody else, really. But it's enough to when they're having these meetings, they you know they got the coffee, the coaches are in the room, they're hashing out depth charts, they're figuring out who makes the final 53 here in a couple of weeks it's a factor. It's something that they're going to keep in mind that, hey, you know, he might be like the third or fourth most effective tight end we have on the depth chart, and yet he's the most expensive. So I agree with you. He's definitely Hireman, a guy to keep in mind as one of these veterans who could be a surprise cut uh, toward the end of camp, toward the end of preseason. So moving on, wide receivers, here's what I got so far. Now, keep in mind, There's 13 receivers on the depth chart I'm not going to go through, or on the roster. (laughs) We're not going to go through all all 13, so here's what we got. Demarius Thomas, for me, number one, Uh, he's been quietly solid thus far. He's done nothing to take away from his role as the number one receiver, as the ex-receiver in this offense. He's been getting it done, looking good, quietly forging a bond with Case Keenum. Then you got Emmanuel Sanders, been on fire Followed by Cortland Sutton at number three. I mean, he went into camp, projected as number three, and he's done more than enough to earn that and keep that up to this point. Followed by Deshaun Hamilton at number four. And then here's where it gets interesting. I've got Tim Patrick at number five. And, uh, I mean, this is one of the guys that's just been a surprise sleeper that no one really saw coming once camp opened. And then McKenzie, Isaiah McKenzie, number six, followed by... Philly Brown, seven, and then River Craycraft, number eight. Now, Zach, you and I are sharing a brain on this. We have exactly the same. Your thoughts on the death chart so far?
1: We are sharing a brain. If there's one player I'd substitute, though, for Philly Brown, who came on late, I, I like Jordan Leslie, who had a big touchdown catch from Chad Kelly a couple of practices ago. So he's a guy to keep in mind. But other than that, though, you have DT and Emmanuel, who's having a terrific training camp. Cortland Sutton is that superstar. He makes catch after catch after catch. Uh, Hamilton, Patrick, who's my sleeper, as is, he's yours as the number five. And um, Isaiah McKenzie and then River Cray, 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 Craycraft after that. So we are sharing a brain.
2: It'll be interesting really to see how many wideouts they end up deciding to keep on the fifty-three. Are they gonna go with five? Are they gonna go with six? If they go with six, I think McKenzie, so long as he doesn't completely botch punt return duties, I think that's you can pencil him in. So it's another that bottom of that depth chart is one of the more exciting competitions that we get to see unfold once the preseason games roll around. Now we'll move over to the big uglies, starting with the tackles. Um here's what we got. I got Bowles, number one, and we're sharing the brain on this. Jared mm-hmm. Belder, of course. And then Turner, Billy Turner is basically who they have envisioned the coaches as their swing tackle. And then you got Quan Joe. Then you got uh, Menelik Watson, rounded out by the Big Dane, Andreas Knapp. <laughs> and then uh, Elijah Wilkinson, a holdover from last year, a futures guy that was signed, former undrafted rookie. But that rounds out. Any thoughts on the tackles up to this point? I like the starting tackles,
1: but the backups kind of scare me. You have Turner, who can play guard and, and tackle. He's pretty solid. Uh, Quanjo, he was a second-round pick of the Bills out of Alabama. And you have Menelik Watson, who needs no introduction. <laughs> uh, I, if they stay healthy, though, I like this group. But if they, if Bowles or Valdir is injured, it could be dicey.
2: What really bothers me about this particular battle is that were it not for money, Menelik Watson wouldn't even be on this roster. No, and yet— gone he might end up edging out Cyrus Quanjo for an actual roster spot because of that fact. And yet we know also that if Garrett Bowles goes down in the season, knock on wood, the first guy that's, that stepped in when he went down in training camp was Quanjo at left tackle. So True. it's like, you know, it's interesting to see, but another point on this Turner, they've really emphasized as far as their swing guys, they want offensive linemen, both at tackle guard and center that can be cross-trained. They can play multiple positions.
1: It's, it's a great uh, point, and Sean Kugler has done a great job as that uh, coach cross training all the, the linemen. Most of them can play multiple spots, and that's so valuable uh, when the injury
2: bug does bite because it will happen. It's inevitable. Now, here's who Zach and I both have at guard. Of course, Ron Larry, Connor McGovern, two, your two starters, followed by, now again, this is how we expect the first depth chart to shake out. We're not necessarily saying this is how it's going to roll on the 53 man roster, but. The first depth chart leary mcgovern followed by max garcia he's been the guy who has stepped in for what it's worth when leary has gotten his veteran rest days you know the, the coaches kind of taking it easy the training staff uh with that knee on leary and when he does step off the field it's garcia who's inserted at left guard followed by menelik watson at uh number four followed by the rookie six rounder sam jones and then jj dillman we're sharing our brain but any thoughts on the guards
1: I'm really happy to see Leary move back to left guard because that'll help out Garrett Bowles, left tackle. That's his natural spot. Uh, McGovern, he played pretty well last year. G- giving him a big opportunity there. They didn't draft any lineman in the you know the first five rounds. Uh, Max Garcia, I could do without him. I don't really, I'm not that high on him. But as a backup, you can do a lot worse. Menelik Watson, of course, and Sam Jones needs to learn how to snap if he's going to be <laughs> at center. <laughs> he had three muffs the other day with Chad Kelly, and that cannot happen uh, going forward. Yeah,
2: I mean, the thing with Garcia is I think he's a perfectly acceptable, capable backup swing guard in the NFL. As you said, the team could do worse. However, what really hurts his roster uh, prospects is the fact that he's proven up to this point he is not cross-trainable. He's not a guy who the team could confidently insert at right guard if something happened to McGovern or uh you know either left guards basically his only his his only bag they've tried him early on in his career and I know he played some center at Florida but they tried him early on his career at center it never really took so that's the biggest problem for Garcia is the fact that he's a one-trick pony he's left guard that's it yeah I mean
1: we'll have to see what happens and I I wouldn't be surprised if Garcia is cut at final cuts we will touch on that just a minute I hate to give any spoilers away but um I would not be surprised
2: Now, here's who we have at center. Obviously, Matt Paradis locking it down at number one, followed by J.J. Dealman, former uh, Utah Ute, who the team picked up off waivers during last season, and then Sam Jones. They have designs on Jones, I think, perhaps being a long-term possible alternative to Matt Paradis, but as you said, Zach, he's got to learn how to snap (laughs) that ball, which is the one position he didn't play a lot of at Arizona State. Yeah, Dylan
1: Day, where art thou? Uh, but I'm I'm happy with the centers right now because you have Paradis, who's such an iron man. I mean, he's played every snap the last three seasons and even after coming off dual hip surgery. So he's, he's a lock there. And I think he deserves a contract extension. Yep. That's just my opinion. Uh, but they're pretty good at center. He's a top 10 center. And they have, which is
2: good, they have a couple young players that they're developing behind them. A quick side note, a quick aside while we're on this topic of centers, looking at Matt Paradis, as you wrote and reported on, uh, I think it was Sunday night, the team has had you know, the exploratory talks with the Paradis camp on an extension. They've at least touched base. Nothing really uh, fortuitous has come of it quite yet. But if you're looking at what that, how that could take shape, you know, if anything's going to happen, it's going to be a little bit closer to the start of the regular season toward the end of camp once the dust kind of settles a little bit. But what are they looking at? What kind of contract would they be staring down the barrel? Now, if you assume that maybe Paradis might be willing to give him a little bit of a hometown discount, which I think he will, you're still looking, I think, somewhere between six and nine mm-hmm. million per year because you look around the AFC West. In Oakland, they have Rodney Hudson, who's one of the best centers in the NFL. He's making. Nine, uh, nine to nine and a half million, somewhere in there, and then just even in with the Los Angeles Chargers, they just signed the uh, the other Pouncy, uh, is it Mike? Yeah, Mike mm-hmm. Marquise is the dominant guy in Pittsburgh. So this is Mike Pouncey, former uh, Miami Dolphin, and he's making somewhere around seven and a half million. So are you comfortable, Zach, if it, if this is the way the chips fall with the Broncos, you know, setting aside that kind of cap dollars for Matt Paradis? I really am
1: because a center is like that quarterback of the offensive line. They know all the calls. They, they run the, you know, the, the line and, and the line of scrimmage. Yep. And Paradis, he's proven that he's, he's reliable. He's tough. He's good at his job. He's good at pass protection, run blocking. Um, so I would extend him. I think he's earned it. He he's, hasn't missed a snap, like I said. Some people are worried about his hips, but he even said uh, yesterday on Twitter that he's in the best shape of his life. Yeah, during this season, and that's a very positive uh, thing for him after last year when he had dual hip surgery. So, uh, in terms of his contract, the Broncos have about nine and a half million dollars right now. And you mentioned Hireman, seven hundred thousand. Yeah. They can every penny helps there. So if they want to, you know, look to extend paradise, they can make some cuts. Uh, along those lines, I, I would expect him, his baseline to be about six and a half million a year, and that would put him between uh, Jason Kelsey from Philadelphia and the Jets, Spencer Long, who's making about 6.85. So I think 6.5 is his baseline, maybe 6.5 to seven. That's the starting out number, but right now, uh, like you said, it's just baseline negotiations. They just touch base. Yep. Nothing imminent yet, uh, but I would not be surprised if a deal gets done, maybe into the regular season.
2: Before we move on to the other side of the ball, I mean, the reality is. He is a success story. He's exactly the type of player that a team can be proud of. Look, we took him late in the draft. He took some time to develop, but develop he did. He has now turned into not just a consistent starter, an man, as you said, not missing a single snap for three straight seasons despite being in significant pain at one point and coming off bilateral hip surgery, but he also developed into one of the best centers in the NFL it's the type of success story it's a precedent type thing that you want to set also with the younger players on your roster that look this could happen to you so they need to pay Matt Paradis that he needs to stay he needs to be a Bronco for at least another contract so hopefully that's the way it shakes out now moving on to outside linebackers we have a little bit of a disparity here between the way Zach and (laughs) I see it and I'll start us off obviously Vaughn now, I have Shane Ray as as showing up tomorrow as number two on the depth chart. So the starter opposite of Vaughn on the first depth chart, then Shaq Barrett, then Bradley Chubb at number four, followed by Holland, Jeff Holland, the undrafted rookie at number five. So the takeaway here, why do I have Bradley Chubb at number four? And the reason I do is simply because I don't think he's – he hasn't had a bad camp by any stretch. It's just been kind of quiet, and it's really hard for pass rushers to just be – uh, show out and be this dominant force during training camp because in individual drills, they're told to rock and roll, right? They're told go balls out. But in team period, they kind of have that thing in their minds and they're told by coaches to be, you know, hands off the quarterback basically. And so you don't really quite get to see them in full effect the way you do so many other possession uh, positions like wide receiver and, and even other places on the defense. So, Chubb, in other words, hasn't quite gotten that chance to show out. And I think that's going to come in the preseason, which is where that's where you're going to see him kind of catapult, leapfrog up the up the depth chart a little. So that's why I have him at four. But what do you have for the depth chart at OLB?
1: It's a great point. But I, I have Vaughn, of course, number one. Um, I have Shane Wright, number two, only because he's locked into that role. Now that he's healthy, more healthy for now. I do have Bradley Chubb, though, as number three, ahead of Shaq Barrett. Only because, and maybe my my heart is thinking more than my brain right now, but you're not going to take a guy number five overall and, and drop him fourth on the depth chart, yeah. even though you're stacked at that position. That's just my my feeling Good on point. that. And he's he had a decent camp so far. Maybe not explosive like you said, and, and it won't come out till the preseason uh, when the bullets start flying. I, I just don't think they're going to put him behind a former undrafted free agent as a number five overall pick. I think based on his draft status – I think he will be number three and then you have uh, Barrett who's going to have a good season I feel like and Jeff Holland the undrafted free agent Jim
2: it's a fair point because if we've learned anything over the last few years it's that draft pedigree matters significantly in the eyes of the Denver Broncos and they've done a lot over the years to really shield and vault their draft picks and we're talking about a number five uh, number back so much pitch. so exactly so you could be completely right we'll see how it shakes out tomorrow now we move on to defensive ends. We get into uh, the, the other big uglies on the other side of the ball. Here's what I have and what Zach and I both have, actually. Derek Wolfe, number one. The other starter, Adam Gotsis, followed by Shelby Harris. Um, uh, Clinton McDonald at number four. Demarcus Walker, the former second-round pick, at number five. There hasn't quite just been enough live bullet scenarios yet for him to make a jump up the depth chart. And then followed by Zach Kerr. In the last now, Kerr. You don't want to read too much into him being the last on the depth chart because he's a man that wears multiple hats, he's one of those versatile trenchmen that every coaching staff needs that can step in and play anywhere on the defensive line. So they're always going to have a place for him. He's in no danger, don't read into this of getting cut. But uh, Zach and I were sharing a brain on this. Your thoughts on the defensive ends thus far.
1: First of all, it's nice to see Derek Wolf fully healthy. I don't know how long that'll last, but it's nice to see him have a nice camp so far. Uh, Gossis is locked into a starting role, provided he stays out of prison. That
2: rape case is still, <laughs> is still up in the air. Laugh. So, <laughs> Sorry, man. It's so, a little insensitive, I know, because it's kind I, I mean, of a hardcore topic, but. It's still a possibility, unfortunately. And
1: uh, Shelby Harris, he had a great breakout season last year. Clint McDonald was that free agent signing who's going to really help push the pocket. That's what the Broncos heavily lacked the last couple seasons is that interior pass rush. And they're really going to have it in spades this year. I love the McDonald signing, and now he's fully healthy. Uh, Demarcus Walker, he is my breakout candidate. But like you said, he hasn't really had an explosive camp, nothing eye-popping just yet. I do expect that to change. He might leapfrog McDonald or Harris on the depth chart. Uh, He will have a better season than he had last year now that he's a full-time defensive end and rounding out a Zach Kerr. But this is a very,
2: very deep group, and a, a, a deeper group than I think most people realize. Absolutely. And Walker, one thing he's kind of proven throughout his, his football career, and this dates back to his time at Florida State, is that he's just, you know, he's a gamer. He's a guy that when the chips are down, when it matters, he finds ways to make plays. And and that's going to be the most apparent, obviously, in real live bullet, real game scenarios. And even though preseason games are exhibition games, they they matter. And it's you're going against the outside competition, and I think that's when – uh, you're going to see Walker make it, make some make some plays and start proving some people right and making people proud. So we move over to the other big uglies on the defensive line, the nose tackles. you got a few candidates here on the depth chart led, obviously, uh, by Domita Pecco, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then Zach Kerr as the number two, followed by Baby Pecco, Kyle Pecco. And then also we got to keep an eye on Deshaun Williams, who you wanted to make a note of. Zach and I, we share our brain on the nose tackles, but you wanted to make a note, especially about Deshaun Williams.
1: Yeah, Williams and Vance Joseph know each other from their time in Cincinnati, and I think Joe Woods actually talked up Williams in the past. So it's one name to keep in mind. Uh they have three nose tackles right now pretty much locked in, so Williams might be a long shot, but just a name to keep in mind. This position reminds me a lot of the center because you have Pecko who's such an Iron Man, except for last year, of course, he comes to Denver and uh he, he gets injured, but he's mostly healthy for the duration of the season, so they don't have to worry about that. And I'm sure we'll see maybe Peko be released and cut and <laughs> re signed multiple yeah. times like every other year. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that, that uh nose tackle
2: spot is pretty uh, cut and dry. But you know, there were a couple guys last year who ended up on IR That I think if the Broncos were competitive and were making an actual postseason push, or were, you know, had had locked in a postseason berth, that aren't going to go to IR, that are going to actually, they might miss a week, they might take a week or two to do some uh, Mm -hmm. some rehab in the training, but that don't actually end up on IR. And I'm not certain of this. Uh, I haven't been told anything by a source or anything, but I think Domitapeko. If the Broncos were playing on wildcard weekend, I don't think he would have been a guy that actually was on injured reserve. That's a good point. Same with Justin Simmons. The Broncos had a bunch of
1: players last year. Yep. It was a mass unit.
2: Yep. So, anyway, we move on to the off-ball linebackers. Here's what I've got. We we diverge a little bit here. Brandon Marshall, Todd Davis, number one and number two, respectively, followed for me by Zaire Anderson and Josie Jewell at number four. Now, the reason why I have Josie Jewell at number four on the opening depth chart – of this season is because he just got a late start he suffered a mild we talked a little bit about this last week but he he suffered Mm -hmm. a mild hamstring injury during the rookie practices in the days leading up to the actual open of uh, training camp so he missed the first four or five days and but once he once he got back into the action it didn't take long for him to start making waves and everyone was talking about him in the uh you know the player remarks after practice and whatnot. So I don't expect him to stay at number four for long. But I that's what I, I, I predict for tomorrow. Then followed by Joe Jones, who's been playing surprisingly well. He's he's been a surprise mm. guy that um, you got to keep an eye out for as a dark horse to maybe unseat Anderson as the fourth guy on this roster when it's all said and done. And then of course also the uh, sixth round pick Keyshawn bieria who's been competing his uh, his ass off, playing very well on special teams. But that's who I've got. What are you guys at? Yeah,
1: Marshall Davis, one and two. I do have Josie Jewell as my number three. And I think the Broncos drafted him to fill that Corey Nelson role as that pass-covering inside linebacker on our sub-packages. And he's earning praise from his teammates. Von Miller, you know, he gave him a nickname, Redbeard, and he, he gave him a lot of praise. And I, I do think now that he's practicing – and it it came at just at the right time. He's going to be at number three on the depth chart. Uh, Zaire, who's that, that veteran presence now? He he came up and he's uh, been a stable hand on specials and on on defense. Joseph Jones actually took first team snaps, I believe, when Marshall was injured. Uh, he hurt his wrist a couple practices ago. So the Broncos are obviously high on him. And uh, you have area also. So it's a, it's a pretty good uh, group.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's not going to take long. I mean, everything Jewel does, he just gets absolutely fawned over and gushed over by his teammates and coaches. So. He's going to be a a real contributor this year, so it's exciting to see how that's going to unfold. Now we move into the secondary, the cornerbacks. We share a brain on this. Chris Harris, number one. Bradley Roby, we both are confident, going to be number two. Uh, Tremaine Brock, I think, is still going to be penciled in at number three, even though he's missed the last several days with a hamstring injury. Isaac Yadam, who's been playing the number three with Brock on the sideline, has leapfrogged several players to be that uh, number four now playing at the number three. And then Brendan Langley followed by Marcus Rios and C.J. Smith. No need to really go further, but we're sharing a brain there. Your thoughts on the cornerback so far?
1: I think you and I have agreed in the past that it's it's so ridiculous that Bradley Roby is forced to compete with Tremaine Brock. Yes. for a starting role. He's a fir- former first round pick. A keep the leap is gone. Just give him the spot. And you know, by all accounts, he is already playing that role, so he will be the starter. Brock is that veteran, you know, that third cornerback. He'll put, play pretty well. Uh Yadam is the is the surprise so far of training camp because he's made some he's been burned a little bit by Sutton some of the other receivers, but he's made some plays too. And he's definitely ahead of Langley, who I'm not very high on at all. Uh, but I do think based on his draft status as a third round pick, mm-hmm. he is higher than, you know, Rios and Smith who were Drafted free agents, so yeah. uh, the first three players are good. The first three corners. After that, eh, it gets a little shaky. But I, I do like Yarm um, uh, as to come on as a third-round pick and make a contribution in his rookie season.
2: Now, I'm not saying this is gonna happen, but the Tremaine Brock situation is one to monitor, and it kind of reminds me a little bit. Now, if you think back to 2012, okay, the Denver Broncos in the in the uh, off-season signed. Drayton Florence and they paid him a, a decent contract. And he got it, like, if I recall right off the top of my head, four or five million. I mean, it was a significant mm-hmm. um signing bonus. And he ended up on the cutting room floor at the final roster. So it wouldn't, and he was a veteran. He was one of these guys. But Chris Harris in year two, you know, they had high hopes for him. Obviously, Chris Harris, he made the roster as a rookie, contributed a lot to that 2011 defense in the nickel that went on to make the playoffs under Tebow and all that. So, They liked what they saw from Harris, but they kind of weren't sure if he had captured lightning in a bottle, what to think. So they go out and they sign Drayton Florence, and he ends up becoming obsolete because of Chris Harris. Wouldn't surprise me. And, again, I'm not predicting this to happen at this point, but if Tremaine Brock ends up following a similar suit, because that contract, it's not going to be hard for them to get out of it uh, with very minimal cap hit to him if they want to by summer's end. I could
1: see that. But I think the only way they would cut him is if they had a replacement in mind, maybe like Kayvon Webster, if his Achilles is fully healed. I do think they signed him for a reason, though, and they targeted him in free agency fairly early, so they have a role for him. I don't expect that to happen, but you can never put anything past Elway, who cut TJ Ward last year right before the (laughs) season started. So you can't really uh, put anything past him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it does bear mentioning, I mean, Coach Joseph continues to say nothing but good about Brock. Talks about him as if he's already a penciled-in starter. So, again, I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen, but there's something in the back of my mind teasing me with these parallels between him and Drayton Florence. Now we move on to the safeties. This one's a little bit interesting because I Mm -hmm. think we could all, both of us, we could say that uh, we expected Sua Cravens maybe uh, to have a little bit more of an impact early on than he has thus far But he's been dealing with a little bit of a knee issue the last Mm -hmm. couple of days. And even before that, though, the
0: rust has been...
2: Fallen falling off in chunks. I think it, we kind of forgot or got a little overwhelmed with the fact that he was such a phenomenal prospect coming out of USC, a second round pick. The Broncos claimed that they had a first round grade on him coming out of that 2016 draft. But we forget that this dude hasn't played football for a long time going on two calendar years. And so just like Chad Kelly, the rust has kind of fallen off in chunks for him. It's been a little bit slow going. So here's what we got. Zach and I are sharing the brain here. Justin Simmons, number one, Darian Stewart, number two, Will Parks, who has picked up Mm -hmm. significant momentum, number three, followed by Sua Cravens, and then DeMonte Thomas, former undrafted rookie, Jamal Carter, former undrafted rookie, and then this year's undrafted rookie, Trey Marshall. But your thoughts on the safeties thus far?
1: Uh, it's There's no way they can keep five, and it's going to kill me that they're going to have to cut at least one of them. And I love Thomas and Carter. I think both can contribute, but they just can't keep five safeties on the roster. Uh, they're going to keep four more than likely. Uh, Simmons and Stewart are locks, and Parks and Cravens are locks. I'm higher on Cravens personally than Parks, even though Parks had that pick six and kind of ignited the defense a couple practices ago. um, I just think Cravens is the better player, the better, the dime hybrid linebacker. But Parks is that pet project of Vance Joseph and Joe Woods. So. Uh, he is my number three right now, and you have Cravens. but i'm I'm we both are big fans of Thomas and Carter. Yep. I mean, both undrafted free agents, both great finds uh, contributed last year. Thomas had that pick six in preseason. Uh, Carter played well on specials last year. It's gonna kill me to see one of them cut,, uh, but it's just the way the NFL goes,
2: yeah. and it bears mention and Trey Marshall, uh, the undrafted rookie this year from FSU, Florida State, he was one of the top five safety recruits coming out of high school. So That's a good point. I mean, this this guy had, has some legit skill for whatever reason. It just wasn't there's some injuries, some weird issues there, but he just wasn't quite able to put it together at Florida State. He might be more of a long-term developmental guy to keep an eye on down the road, but uh he's still got some exciting aspects to his his game as well that bears keeping an eye on as we move forward here into the summer. Now we move to special teams obviously no need to go through the specialist. There is no competition at kicker, punter, or long snapper. So we start with punt returner. We're sharing a brain. Here's who we got so far. Isaiah McKenzie is going to be penciled in number one, I think. Now there's an mm-hmm. off chance I, that Lindsey could upset and be penciled in number one to start on the depth chart, but I don't think they want to upset McKenzie's uh, tenuous confidence that he's kind of slowly <laughs> building up after such a, um, you know, such a terrible rookie season. They want to get him off on the right foot, I think, going into the preseason. So you're going to see him number one, followed by Philip Lindsay, Deshaun Hamilton, and then River Craycraft. But uh, what are your thoughts on how this is shaped up so far?
1: It's really going to come down to either McKenzie or Lindsay, and I have McKenzie as my number one for the same reasons you said. I think Vance still believes in him to some extent, and they're going to give him the first shot there. I will say, though, if Jordan Taylor was healthy, he would be probably at, at least one, if not two. Um, he just he, he did the job last year, did it pretty well. Sure-handed guy, can has has some wiggle to his uh for turning skills. But right now, as it stands, with with uh, Taylor out of the picture, I do have McKenzie as my one, Lindsay number two, Hamilton. He's kind of explosive, but he had no punt return experience at Penn State. So you can't really rely on him and then Craigcraft is that a uh, long shot on the punt return. Yep,
2: yeah, and it's bare, it bears mentioning at this point you've really got to start wondering and worrying about Taylor's prospects, future prospects with the Broncos, because even though he started on pup, I just don't see a place for him this year. And and no. that's gonna be a tricky situation. Could it be an injury settlement? They cut him with an injury settlement. Do they does he somehow end up on IR where they hold on to him? That's what I, I think. It's 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 a tricky IR, situation. Yeah. But, um Kick returners. We're sharing a brain. This one's been pretty uneventful up to this point, but clearly Brendan Langley has been the number one there. And, you know, if he's provided any value to the team up to this point, it's here. It's the fact that he has some explosive athletic ability. He was called by – who was it? I think it was Chris Harris called him freakish athlete. So mm-hmm. he's got some some uh, some wiggle, some, some explosive traits, but – he just hasn't been able to put it together as a corner. As a kick returner, he did very well at Lamar, returned multiple touchdowns. So he's penciled in number one, followed by McKenzie, Philip Lindsay, and then Deshaun Hamilton. Uh, Lindsay, you know, looking back on this right now, I think he
1: might leapfrog McKenzie for the number two spot. But ultimately, I think Langley and McKenzie will be the one and two there. One guy who would have the spot locked down is Carlos Henderson. And he doesn't have it because he's not there at camp. So uh, if he was there, he'd be in the mix, but he's not. So I think Langley and McKenzie do get the nod. But Philip Lindsay, they're going to try to find a roster spot for him, and his clearest path to the roster is on specials. So keep an eye on him on kick returner.
2: All right, there you have it. That's our first depth chart prediction here on the season. We'll see how it shakes out. You guys are going to be able to compare what we had to say here today uh, very quickly as it's expected to come out on Tuesday. Now, we still have a lot to get to, including early takeaways from the first week of camp. We got to go to quarterback watch. Uh, We got to uh, debunk a bad take. We're going to get to that, but first, We got to holler at you about why you got to become a mile high huddle VIP because at mile high huddle 24 seven sports, our approach to covering this team, the Denver Broncos, your favorite team. It's not just about reporting the news. We pride ourselves on being able to relate to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time. In fact, I don't think anybody gets to it as quickly as we do, but what we like to focus on is breaking down the Broncos in depth. Zach had a great, great column In fact, on Monday that we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes, for example, Uh, but also all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation. I mean, we're breaking down the 2018 draft class still, but we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. And to become a Mile High Huddle VIP, get access to 100% of our written analysis, plus our VIP insider forums. Go to the website, click on the green banner at the top. And you can choose monthly, you can choose annual, whatever's right for you. But from there, you're locked in, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info we pick up along the way. And you guys know, we work hard to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. We ask for your support. By becoming a VIP subscriber, you pull the trigger, you have our word, you will not be disappointed. All right, so the Broncos, obviously, first week camp in the books. Uh, When last you heard from us, on the, podcast. the Broncos had completed just three practices, but now they've got seven under their belt, plus a scrimmage. So call it eight full days of practice. And as Zach mentioned earlier in the show, they've had two off days, which includes Monday. Now, we've learned a lot since then. Here are some quick takeaways. And the thing that comes to mind first and foremost is just, oh my, Case Keenum. I mean, he really <clears throat> does seem to be the real deal up to this point. Now, obviously, we haven't seen him yet against outside competition, but... He goes six days, six days without throwing a pick. Meanwhile, you got Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City throwing picks left and right. (laughs) Even Aaron Rodgers, okay, the great Aaron Rodgers, arguably the best player in the NFL, has been throwing multiple picks at uh, Green Bay Packers training camp. And yet Case Keenum, he goes not only six days without throwing a pick, but it's not like he was just playing it safe with the football. He was making plays downfield left and right. So... It kind of crashed down to earth a little bit in the ensuing the last two days of practice. He had that first pick that you talked about with Will Parks grabbing one, and then on the summer, or the, uh, the summer scrimmage on Sunday, the offense was kind of batting down. They ran the ball more than they threw it when the first team was on there, so you didn't really get to see him showcase as much. However, that first-team offense still – Marched down the field, twelve plays, scored. So you just gotta love Zach. What you've seen so far from Case Keenum, it really seems at this time the Broncos are getting what they paid for.
1: Absolutely, he's been worth every single penny of that thirty-six million dollar contract. And the you know the interceptions, it's gonna happen. This is a great, great defense with talent all over the place. And I will say that Keenum on his worst day is better than anything the Broncos have had on their best day of the past couple seasons better than Paxson Lynch, better than Simeon, better than Osweiler. He is the real deal so far, and it's still practice. It's still early, uh, but this is why the Broncos got him, because he is sneaky good. They're just getting him at the surface of his potential. Uh, He's not even scraping the ceiling yet. I think he is the real deal. I think he will be the
2: Broncos franchise quarterback. It is very encouraging. I agree. I think he's going to – he could follow. Now, I was talking to someone about this today, and I don't want to get too overboard on this, but – He just seems to be getting, you know, it's a similar to me, I see him as possibly following a similar track as Drew Brees. Now that might sound like high praise. Mm. Now I want to pump the brakes a little bit. The reason I'm comparing him at all to Drew Brees is in Drew Brees' case, he was a former second-round pick out of Purdue. It took two NFL stops for him uh, to really kind of start to hit his stride, but it didn't even happen right away when he signed in New Orleans. Case Keenum, similar size, similar type of accurate quarterback, I see him possibly finally, you know, his his path has been different as an undrafted guy, right? He's received no favors up to this point in his career, whereas Drew Brees, as a second rounder, had many benefits of the doubt along the way, and that earned him some additional points and and credibility in the eyes of people around the league, and it helped him out. Case Keenum hasn't had that benefit, and yet I see them kind of at equal points in their career about year six, year seven, really starting to turn it on. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Case Keenum follow a similar trajectory. But still, I think the most obvious comparison is Jake Plummer because not only the fact that he comes in as a free agent, but he's already establishing himself as a down-to-earth homeboy in the locker room. He's become best buds already with the offensive line, just like Jake Plummer. So that's that's my most obvious comparison. But we're uh, we're running long. So let me jump here. Cortland Sutton, Zach, this dude has just been on fire. <laughs> we talked about him last week, but – It's highlight catch after highlight catch, posterizing dudes on the regular. But then Chris Harris – he comes out on Sunday, pumps the brakes on the Sutton hype, says, yeah, he's great at 50-50 balls, but he's got to learn the route tree. <laughs> he's correct on that.
1: He's not. He's being a good teammate, I think. I, I think he has to keep the rookie's head humble and keep him hungry. And, uh, and that was one of the knocks on Sutton coming out of college, was that he doesn't know the full route tree. He's good at using his big body and his catch radius and his high-pointing ability, but he has to sharpen his route-running craft. And once he does that, he's going to be a true number one. But right now, what more could you ask for from a, a second-round pick who they stole at number 40? Uh, the guy, as a number three, is going to be a monster in the red zone. Um, you cannot match up with him. Too, he's too big for corners. He's too fast for linebackers and safeties. Um, he's going to be a nightmare for this Broncos offense. I could not be more impressed with him. He is owning everyone in that no-fly zone.
2: I look forward to those second and twos with the ball on the opponent's, you know, 30, 32-yard line where you see offensive coordinators open up the playbook and take a shot downfield, try and catch the defense a little bit, kind of kind of napping. I think you're going to see Cortland Sutton on the receiving end of some big plays like that this, this coming season. Now, it's also, we kind of touched on this with, with Case Keenum, but the Broncos offense obviously have made believers out of their defensive counterparts. I mean, no doubt up to this point, guys have just been gushing about how different the offense is this year, night and day. You can't even compare it to last year. And yet we've kind of seen them crash down to earth a little bit as you wrote about over the weekend you know the defense wins the the day really for the first time that that day when uh, uh, Will Parks picks off Keenum for the first time and really up to this point the offense hasn't bounced back in the sense that they've won a day in their own right the first teamers so it's been very encouraging up to this point but as Case Keenum kind of spoke to on Sunday and I think he had a great point he was kind of talking about how with how hard the two sides are kind of beating up on each other At this point in camp, it's really difficult to tell which which unit, the offense or the defense, has the edge um, until they get to some outside competition. I think there's some truth to that.
1: It's just the ebbs and flows of training camp. It just, it is what happens. And you want to see balance. Some Broncos fans were starting to panic that the offense was owning the defense. And now that the defense got the better of them, they're saying, uh, why are they so, why are they taking a step back? It's going to happen. This is a great Broncos defense. Yeah. And traditionally, defenses are ahead in, in install in training camp ahead of the offense. It's just how it goes. So the fact that the offense with a new quarterback, a, a new offensive lineman, new receivers, new running backs, the fact that they can uh, get a couple up on the Broncos' defense is very encouraging, but you want to see balance. You want to see some days the offense doing well, some days the defense doing well. That's exactly what you've seen. Uh, but what could what more could you ask for from Case Keenum? After the Broncos have suffered through Simeon and Lynch and Osweiler, a guy can come in right away and light up this Denver defense yep. and earn the respect of the entire team. It's been very encouraging, but I do want to see balance. And that's what we're seeing.
2: And as you said, that's a great point. The defense has had continuity with Joe Woods going into year two plus the personnel turnover has been much more minimal than uh, the offense whereas they've got an entirely new offense granted Musgrave was the interim coordinator second half of the season last year but this is an entirely new offense so you got to give them their props for for the progress they've shown up to this point now we move on we got to talk about this really quick Emmanuel Sanders has already forged a strong bond with Case Keenum he's a He's 30 years old, but he looks completely revitalized. I mean, we could see him really, even as he's getting long in the tooth, resurrecting his career this year, getting back. And it's not necessarily a contract year for him. Obviously, with the Broncos, we kind of view it that way because it's hard to see the Denver Broncos keeping both Sanders and DT with Sutton and Hamilton just rocking and rolling behind him. But do you think we're going to see the Emmanuel of old fearlessly going over the middle, making plays, if he can stay healthy
1: and stay on the field, I think he's in for a uh, a four-digit season, uh, over 1,000 yards. Yeah. He's just going to capitalize on having two big receivers working opposite him and freeing up the middle of the field. And Case Keenum on play action, if this running game gets going, he's going to just work the middle of the field, and that's where he does the most work. And the Broncos have installed a lot of these slant, these quick hitters for Case Keenum, and that's right in Sanders' wheelhouse. I think he isn't for a big year, and he's also very motivated to show the rest of the NFL he can still play. He knows it might be his last year in Denver. He said it this offseason he's very expensive uh the broncos drafted his successor he knows the writing is on the wall and i think he's motivated to show that he can still play so he's not only showing the broncos he's showing 31 other teams he's still an elite receiver
2: that's right that's right it's uh i'm excited i i think we're going to see the he manual of old but you're right barring uh injury you know we got to keep an eye on it he is long in the tooth he's over 30 so hopefully he stays healthy now We'll move on. It's time for quarterback watch. It's our weekly diagnostic on Denver's backup QB battle. In this segment, you know, it'll run probably through camp and preseason because this year we have a clear-cut number one. Case Keenum's got it locked down. But we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Meanwhile, Paxton Lynch, look, he didn't exactly set the world on fire to start training camp, but he was at least encouraging. The first couple of practices he stacked, he looked good. But since then, however, it's been all downhill. And he has revealed himself to basically be the same old Paxton. All that work with Charlie Taft that he's put in over the last two off season, it just doesn't seem to be paying off at all. And that's to say nothing of the work the Broncos coaching staff has put into him over the last three seasons now, three off seasons. So the flip side to that coin, though, is you got Chad Kelly. Kelly, you know, he's a guy who got off to an extremely rocky start at camp. He was actually surprising people with how bad he looked. But it's important to remember that this was a guy who had not played football for 18 months of real time in his own right. So naturally the rust was going to fall off in chunks, right? But then you got Lynch. He's regressed each day while Kelly has incrementally improved, and it all culminated in that breakout performance on Sunday in the scrimmage where Kelly threw a couple of deep touchdown passes. He kept the third-team offense moving the chains. But as encouraging as that might be, we also have to couch it against the idea that, look, he was going against third-team competition, right? He's going against the threes. But the flip side to that coin is he was also working with third-team tools. So in my mind, and I've talked about this on on Twitter, it kind of cancels each other out. You just have to respect the performance for what it was. But bottom line, he was the star of the summer scrimmage, and yet he still hasn't received any second-team reps. Vance Joseph was noncommittal after the practice, after the scrimmage, as to whether Kelly could expect to see some, some action with the twos in the near future. And, Zach, again, you wrote a great piece on Monday decrying the team's hesitancy to give Kelly those second-team reps. How do you make sense of this situation, and how much longer do you think the team can just justify keeping Kelly on the back burner if he continues to prove that he's better and a more consistent player? Like I wrote, I don't see how Vance Joseph could say
1: he could get second-team reps in the future. Why could? Why not give him some second-team reps? And that scrimmage... Lynch is still the same player and I might get emotional on this But he's still the same player He's still sailing past he's, he's still committing turnovers He has not improved in the least And he has every reason to win this job The Broncos are tilting this job in his favor And he still can't take it <laughs> And he he's going to lose out to another Seventh round pick for a 30-year in a row But he did nothing in that scrimmage Kelly comes in Yeah, it was three on threes Three versus threes But he had two long touchdowns He was the only one to give him a spark why not give him a shot with the second team? It just makes no sense. And it go, it comes down to John Elway's ego as Lynch is a first-round draft pick. It comes down to Vance Joseph's continued player mismanagement, not knowing uh, how to manage certain situations like you saw last year with the receivers and even the quarterbacks, and also draft status. If Lynch was a, a fifth-round pick, he wouldn't even be on the roster right now. <laughs> But he was a first-round pick, and he's penciled in tentatively as a number two. There is no reason why Kelly doesn't deserve second-team reps. You know what you have in Paxton Lynch. You've seen his floor, and you might have even seen his ceiling too. You can't say the same about Chad Kelly. You don't know yet. But what we saw on on, within scrimmage is that he's the only one to give him a spark. He has the tools, and he deserves second-team reps right now. It's a shame, and it's it's honestly a travesty that he can't get some second-team reps.
2: There's only one reason I can think of why they have been noncommittal. Because it's weird. Earlier last week, VJ says, yeah, when he was asked directly, well, hey, is Chad Kelly ever going to get second team reps? He said, yeah, he'll get some second team reps. Well, then on the scrimmage, he freaking lights it up, and then he's asked again directly the first question at the podium, is Chad Kelly going to get second team reps? And he (laughs) says, well, we'll see. So there's only one reason why I can imagine this kind of intellectual dishonesty is taking place at Dove Valley. And I think it's it has to do with the team trying to protect the value of Paxton Lynch in the eyes of the league because I think Mm. that if they see Chad Kelly as continuing his stock, his trajectory, continuing to rise, and they know it's only going to improve with preseason games because as he displayed on Sunday, he's more of a gamer. When it counts and matters the most, that's when Chad Kelly finds a way to turn it on. You're going to see Paxton Lynch, there's there's going to be no shielding it up to that point. Even if they give him the majority of the reps and only put Chad Kelly in like the second half of the fourth quarter or something, it's still, I think, going to be pretty obvious. And they can only do that for so long. Meanwhile, they might have it in their mind somewhere on the back burner that, look, we might be able to parlay Paxton Lynch to some quarterback needy team. Because as you get closer to the beginning of the regular season and the, and the depth charts start taking shape and rosters are trimmed down and all that, you're, inevitably you're going to get the, the casualties. And teams who went into camp thinking they had answers at quarterback suddenly aren't so sure, then the Broncos feel like they might be able to get some value out of Lynch. And it's not going to be, let's face it, anything to write home about. I mean, you saw Corey Coleman uh, just get traded from Cleveland for a frickin' song. He was a former first-round pick, <laughs> and he went for like a conditional s- sixth or seventh rounder in 2020. So what kind of value does Paxton Lynch have? But you might get a conditional sixth or seventh, which is better than a sharp stick in the eye at this point, and maybe that's why—that's the only thing I can think of, Zach, why this, this, this intellectual dishonesty is the best way to put it. I could see that, but you wouldn't get so much as a bag of football for Paxton
1: Lynch <laughs> right now. Around the league, he is damaged goods. He's a lemon right now. And damaged goods, I mean mentally and psychologically, not physically. Yep. Uh, but it, it, Vance Joseph, it goes back to harping on him. He, In his press conference, he called Chad Kelly a playmaker. But then he said he might not give him second-team reps. It's just a contradiction. Same reason – Earlier this offseason, Vance said that he wants Lynch to relax and sit back, and then he backtracked on those comments. Mm. So it's, again, it's player mismanagement by a coach who still hasn't grown in that area, and that could be his downfall this season. But I could see that maybe they want to protect uh, his value around the league. Maybe Elway doesn't want to admit his failure. But like yeah. I said, if Lynch was a not a first-round pick, he, I don't think he'd be on the roster no, right I now. I agree. So, I don't know what's going
2: on, but I do think Chad deserves it, and it has to happen sooner than later. And we're going to have a lot more information to dissect on this when next you hear from us, because the first preseason game's coming really soon this coming Saturday against the Minnesota Vikings. So,. Well, hopefully this this picture will take shape a little bit more clearly by next. Uh, you get to hear from us here, so we'll move on here because we're running a little bit long. So let's get to our debunking a bad take, where we dissect and refute some bad analysis or some bad takes out there on the interwebs. And again, reminder: we are completely open to listener suggestions on this segment. So keep an eye out for bad takes all week long, and when you see something, ping us on Twitter. At huddle up pod or hit Zach and I up on our individual Twitters. But, you know, we received a few suggestions this week, and the one we're going to go with might be controversial to some. Some would consider the great Brian Dawkins to be sacrosanct in a certain respect. He's a bona fide Hall of Famer now. He gave an emotional speech at the Hall of Fame. He talked about depression, talked about how he had been considering suicide, and how he fought through all of that mental anguish to rise above. It was a very inspirational speech. The problem, he didn't mention your Denver Broncos, not once. Conversely, he thanks the Lurie family, the owners of the Eagles. He thanks the Philadelphia Eagles. But nary a word about Pat Bolin or the Broncos, and here's why that's a bad take, if you will. Broncos fans are already super sensitive, right, when it comes to the Hall of Fame because of how badly the team has been represented and snubbed Traditionally, It's kind of touch-and-go territory. It's not something that uh, you really want to trifle with. Now, obviously, in Dawkins' case, he only played in Denver for three of his 16 NFL seasons, but two of those seasons were Pro Bowls. He went to nine Pro Bowls in his career. Two of them were in the orange and blue. And then he was, of course, also part of that monumental and pivotal turnaround season in 2011 that culminated in a, in a playoff win. So, for what it's worth, Dawkins did apologize later on Twitter for the snub but it was highly disappointing to the Legion of Bronco fans who tuned in to watch Brian Dawkins speak and get officially enshrined into the Hall of Fame, Zach. Yeah, I, on one hand, I can't really blame
1: him because he's not known as a Bronco. He's known as an Eagle, and it's kind of like DeMarcus Ware and the Cowboys and DeMarcus Ware and the Broncos. Um, but, yeah, he probably should have mentioned the Broncos yeah, somewhere in there mentioned. because it's it's part of his, his career, and it's kind of um, it's kind of a, a shot across the face there. And especially with Pat Bowen and, and his candidacy and him not getting in, I mean, that's, that's going to rob Broncos fans the wrong way and a lot of NFL media the wrong way. So he definitely should have mentioned him. And uh, I, I see why he apologized, because he felt the pressure. And he probably knew to some level that he was wrong for doing that. Um, but like I said, on one hand, he's not known as a Broncos, so maybe he thought he could omit them. But it, we'll was, a, it was a bad uh, choice of, uh, of representation by him.
2: And I'll disagree with you on that, because here's an example. Steve Atwater plays multiple Pro Bowls almost his entire career in Denver, wins two Super Bowls, goes on to play one season for the New York Jets before hanging it up. He's a guy that—and it wasn't a season of note. It was a failed season for the Jets under Bill Parcells. It was it was a nothing burger, big time, for Steve Atwater. In fact, he doesn't even like to talk about it, okay? That's how bad it was for him. He, if he gets enshrined into the Hall of Fame someday, which it's a damn shame that he's not, but if he does, he's probably not going to mention the Jets, and and in that case, deservedly so. John Lynch comes to Denver, makes multiple Pro Bowls, goes to the playoffs multiple years. I would bet dollars to donuts that— if and when he gets enshrined into the hall, he's going to mention the Broncos. He's also known as kind of a dual guy. Only, even though he's only four years, might have been three, but I think it was four as a Bronco. He's all you know. He's still known as a Bronco and a book. So if he goes into the hall, he can be fairly enshrined representing both teams. And I honestly believe that Dawkins is in that same territory as Lynch, where, look, it's not like you just went and played one year and just like faded into the – into the mist, so to speak, of the NFL and disappeared in Denver. You didn't, Dawkins. You came to Denver, got paid, and went on to have three very productive years. The last one, albeit, was somewhat cut short by injury, but you still made the Pro Bowl that year on top of the Pro Bowl in 2009. So that's what disappoints me a little bit, Zach, is that it's not like it was just some minor blip on his Wikipedia page. He was here three years, and he did great things. Right, I mean
1: that's a great point and you kind of changed my perception
2: on that. He he definitely
1: I I don't disagree that he should have mentioned them. He definitely should have at least acknowledged the fact that he played in Denver <laughs> on the on the biggest stage of you know the biggest day of his career and, and the ultimate um you know place in pro football, but it's I don't like can, you can't go back. All you can yeah. do is accept his apology or hold it against him.
2: Yeah. Well, we're still stoked. We're still obviously everyone's happy that uh, Dawkins got enshrined and he's one of the rare pure safeties to be in the hallowed hall of fame. So hats off to him for that at the end of the day. No ill Salute. will or feelings for b Salute. What, I, what else can I say? All right, one last segment, and then we are out of here. We're going to take a quick peek inside the Mile High mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests, and we're here each and every week to offer absolution in answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we did have a few questions that were asking us specifically about a 53 man roster projection, but it's a little bit early for that. And after predicting the first depth chart that's coming out tomorrow, we kind of figured we'd save that for a later episode. Maybe maybe one after the first preseason game, Zach, and then you know, maybe one after the last, you know, right before the final cutdowns. But yeah, right. um, this question comes from Bryn Beck. On Twitter, it's worth talking about. Just an update. His question is, where in the H is Carlos? Obviously referring to Carlos Henderson, who was placed on the uh, did-not-report list to uh, start training camp. Zach, your answer for Bryn here.
1: We don't effing know. <laughs> he's 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 MIA right now. He's still away from the team as he deals with a, a personal matter. Vance Joseph has said it's a family problem, and they haven't really shed any light on what that could be. And I've said before that, you know, there's bigger things in football. Family is bigger than football, and if there's a serious situation in his family, he's got to tend to that. But he's gone from the team right now, and you and I both agree, Chad, that I don't think he's going to make the 53. Advanced yeah. has called him out multiple times and, and really put him on notice, and you can't just waltz back in the locker room in August and expect to make the, the 53, so okay. we don't know where he is, the update is, there's no update on him yet, yeah. uh, hopefully everything's okay in his family, hopefully he comes back soon, uh, but every day that goes by
2: further weakens his, his roster chances. And it also bears mentioning, I think, that Vance Joseph, in a weird way, has kind of talked out both sides of his mouth with regard to Henderson since camp opened. He tells us on day one that it's a personal family matter of extreme urgency that he just had to attend to. It required his immediate attention and presence, et cetera, et cetera. And then as a couple of days go by and it's, you know, players are talking about him, this and that, VJ gets asked again. And then he kind of makes it more sound like, where's his head at? Where's his heart at? That that Carlos needs to decide what's important to him and you know where does football fall on his priority scale and verbiage like that type makes you wonder, what's really going on here? Was the whole family thing just the excuse that the team cooked up to say, look, it's embarrassing what's happening here with our third-round pick one year removed, so let's just say it's some family deal or, or is there really a family deal, but the team just doesn't quite believe that's the real reason Carlos is staying away. I just think there's more to the story here, I guess, is what I'm getting at, Zach. I don't know why Vance has, has has been so hard on him in the
1: media. I mean, it, it, earlier in the offseason, uh, during OTAs, he had a hamstring injury, Henderson, and Vance said he has to get back on the field. Why would he get back on the field lift. injured? It, yeah. it, it's just it's Vance, I think, going out of his way to prove that he's this leader of men and, and he has more control over his team. And I will say again, player mismanagement. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say about that.
2: That's all the time we have for today. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're subscribing, y'all, no matter where you're listening to the show. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We're going to talk to you soon.
0: You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.